Hey, good morning. Welcome home. Oh, come on. Welcome home. All right. Children, it's time for Children's Church. Upstairs you go. Run to Jesus. It's great. Um, John 12. Do you have your Bibles? You want to open them to John 12, please. Um, Before we get started, um, this is going to be a shorter and likely quieter message than you've heard and are used to. Hold your applause, please. That would hurt. Um, What happens is um, I had some surgery this week on a rogue gland in my neck, and um, I I feel much better than I sound. Um, The tube that they use to keep open your airway during the procedure is apparently the hose from a shop vac. And so that's what's causing the, uh, the irritation. Um, this is my scar. I hope it's going to get me some street cred with the, with the younger people. You see that? Yeah. Um, <coughs> you should see the other guy. Yeah. So anyway. Um, but in this kind of voice, it, it makes everything sound a little bit more profound, doesn't it? Miss Lucy had a steamboat. The steamboat had a bell. Ding, ding. See what I mean? I won't go on with that for obvious reasons. We are in week nine of the gospel experiment, and I can't believe we're almost, we're almost here. We, we're three weeks away from Easter, and we had a, a prayer at the beginning of the year. At the end of last year, we just continued to pray. We were so grateful for what God had done. So grateful that he'd been setting people free and bringing people into relationship with him. We prayed for more. We prayed for more. And, and more is what we, what we got. I want to get to that in a second. Um, last week in the gospel experiment, we talked about giving the gospel. And Ryan alluded to this. One of the challenges that I, that I gave you last week, and if you weren't here, I'd ask you to listen to the podcast. Sounds a lot better. And and take this to heart. What we're asking everybody to do is to make a list of three names, three people that you know and love who are far from Christ for whatever reason. And, and pray for yourself that you would be bold. Pray for them that their eyes and their hearts would be open. And then invite them to the Easter service. So we've got this Rolling Stone thing. Eric is going to be at the back. As you leave, he's going to make sure you have three of these. Um, it's going to be a great, great experience. Um, It's going to help you make your invitations, Um, so please take them. I can't stress enough how important it is um, to be part of this. Um, Here's why. Now, all the credit goes to God for what I'm about to share. It's really, it's all him. It's all him. Now, as I said, we were praying for more. We want the city and we want the college to know Jesus Christ. So since January, um, in this small church, Uh, in three months, we've seen 17 people make first-time commitments to Jesus Christ. 17 people. That's that's amazing. If that keeps up for a year, that'd be like 70 people. That's amazing, and that's beautiful, and that's wonderful. What it tells us, what it tells me is this, that all because of his grace, all because of his mercy, God has his hand at this time on this body, in this church, that his presence is powerful, and he's pouring out grace. He's pouring out grace like a waterfall. And so we want to be good stewards of that. I want everybody to be in on that. 
So here's the, here's the thing. When we see that God is moving, when we see that God is pouring out grace, do we want all the people that we know and love to come stand with us under the waterfall? I, I, I believe we do. I believe we do. Now, if you're one of those 17, if you've recently come to Christ on your way out, we have some resources for you, um, uh, some books that are very, very helpful, be a great blessing. Just come up to me and say, new believer's book, okay? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'll know what to do, okay? So I'll be there too. You're gonna get your cards from Eric. If you're a new believer and you need that resource, come get that. Um, All that means is some of you are bringing people here to Bethany. Keep going because God is opening eyes, opening hearts. We uh, share the gospel and people are responding to it. Um, and, and, And they're being set free and saved. Today we are talking about a beautiful, beautiful aspect of the gospel. And I'll spend the rest of my voice trying to convince you how beautiful it is. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation. And it is, I'll give you several definitions for reconciliation, but let's start with this one. It's erasing the relational distance. Erasing the relational distance. And that's exactly what we need. We need a God who can erase the relational distance. You know when you're close to somebody, when you're close to God or you're close to somebody, you describe it as, we're like this, right? We're like this, there's nothing in between us. We're like this. Well, that's how, that's how God desires it to be. And when I think about my life, and I think about all the choices and decisions that I've made, all the ways that I've ignored God, all the ways that I've broken his heart, that he would come and forgive that and erase that relational distance is incredible. So reconciliation is exactly what you and I need because we live in a world of of broken and strained relationships, both with God and with other people. And that's what he's promising. He's promising reconciliation because we aren't always like this. Not with God, not with our spouse, not with our friends, not with our families, not with our coworkers. We're not always like this. But reconciliation calls us, calls us to that powerfully. John 12, 32, let's look at it. Jesus is speaking. He says these powerful words. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's short, so I'll reload it and read it again. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now what Jesus is saying here, principally is this. When I am lifted up on the cross, when I am lifted up as the sacrifice, as the Lamb of God for you, I will draw all people to myself. I, my desire is that they would come to me and be reconciled, have that relational distance erased. What he's also saying, it's not only in crucifixion would he be raised up, but in our midst, When we raise up Jesus Christ, that's where we're passionate about preaching the gospel to the believers and the unbelievers, that when we preach Christ in all the scripture, when we exalt him together, when we exalt him in this place, he draws people to himself. He's saying that 
When he does that, the gravitational energy force will be so strong. That's the force of reconciliation. I want you to think about, there's an image from science. Some people, there's a theory that there may be black holes in the universe. And what a black hole, as I understand it, is is an incredible gravitational force. And if you're in its horizon, if you're in its reach, it is so strong that it pulls all things, stars, light, matter, into itself, right? But it pulls it apart and destroys it. Now, I want you to think of the cross. I want you to think of Jesus in that sense as a black hole. However, as he draws us with the drawing, pulling everybody closer to Jesus and closer to each other. Do you see that? He says, I will draw all people to myself. We get closer and closer to Jesus, closer and closer to each other. As he draws us closer, it's not to rip us apart, but to put us back together, to restore us to become the men and the women that he created us to be. So what Jesus is saying is that as he is lifted up, there is this supernatural gravitational magnetivity drawing. And some of you are feeling it this morning. It's had its effect on uh, on 17 of you since January. And and even believers, it's, it's pulling us closer to Jesus, closer to each other, okay? That's what I want you to see in this passage that he be lifted up, he drawing all people to himself. And we just have a couple of, couple of things. The direction of reconciliation. The direction of reconciliation is closer. It's closer. Closer to Jesus, closer to each other. That's not always the direction of our lives, however, right? The problem is that that's not always the direction of our lives. We see an opposite gravitational force fighting against this at work in many of our earthly relationships. When we're in relationship, be that marriage or friendship or anything else, even within the church, um, we see an opposite gravitational force, not pulling us closer, pulling us away, right? When things get difficult, when people get hard to deal with, when relationships are strained or shattered, what's the easier thing to do? Pull away or push away, right? Tear apart, rip apart. Because even in a small town, you got choices, right? You can always go to another church. You can always, if this friend gets too hard to deal with, you can trade them off, get somebody else. And what we tend to do is live lives which just exchange that which is easier for that which is hard. Do you understand? How many friendships have you burned through? Because it just got too hard. The force of the cross pulls us to not push us away. Okay? The reconciliation heart of Jesus living inside you will make you and I hunger for reconciliation. When we're pushing away, when we're pulling away, when we're tearing apart, when we're trading off for something easier, something that we think is better, instead of reconciling, we are fighting against the gravitational flow of reconciliation. We're fighting against the flow of Jesus. We're fighting against his cross, and we're wondering why following him feels so hard. Do you understand? When we resist reconciliation with other people, when we resist reconciliation with God, 
We wonder why, even though we're fighting against every spiritual energy that he has, that he's pulling us closer to Christ, pulling us closer to each other, we're walking against that tide, even as we ask, why is the Christian life so hard? Well, because we're walking against the flow. And we make it easier to walk against the flow when we convince ourselves that we can grow closer and closer to Jesus without growing closer and closer to each other. They're connected. We desperately want to disconnect them. He won't let us. He won't let us. And we're going to see that in a minute. So we're going to take a look at some different areas of our lives as spouses, as parents, as children, um, as friends. And I need your help here because I'm going to be quiet for just a couple minutes. Just what causes all these rifts, this pulling away? Um, what causes this with spouses? What, what are some of the causes? Not in your own marriages, of course, just people you've known or, or books you've read. What, 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 what causes that? Fin, fi, finance, you say money? Okay, selfishness. Okay, self is big. We're going to see that a lot. And money, what else? Anything else? Pride? Oh, good, thanks. Pride. Now, what about, um, what about as parents? What, what causes us to pull away from our parents? Rebellion? Okay, what else? Somebody at the 9 o'clock said control. Say yeah? Yeah? Any of you have parents? Control? How about... Um, expectations. Your, your parents love somebody that you're not. If I misspell, I just need grace. They love somebody that you, that they wish you were, right? Expectations. What about children? What makes you pull away from your kids? What makes you pull away as spouses, as siblings? Some of the same stuff? How about in your friendships? What breaks up friendships? Offense. Somebody gives offense, somebody takes offense. You guys fight over um, who gets their own way, right? Attention, self. It's preferences. It's all of that. What stops us? Okay, so here are the causes what, what tends to stop us from, from seeking reconciliation? What are those things that, what are those hurdles that we need to get over? Emotional pain, great emotional pain. Okay, hang on. Emotional pain. Because we felt it before, right? We're gonna protect ourselves, right? Self-protection. That's a big part of that. We've been hurt before. Don't need to get hurt again. Somebody said what? Lack of forgiveness? Where was that? Yeah, yeah. We lack forgiveness. One of the things is we can, we can measure our forgiveness. You know, I've forgiven this so many times, and I'm done. And I'm done. That's measured forgiveness. And that's not good. Okay, what else? How about pride? Okay. 
Anything else? Busyness. Something came from over here. Sounded like wisdom. No? Something else that we... It's comfort. It's easier, right? It's easier not to be reconciled. Let's go back. Let's go back to the text. Thank you. I want you to see that reconciliation is the healing of the relationship that comes from forgiveness. Now, if you're a Christian and you need to understand this, in one sense, you are fully reconciled to God. In another sense, not yet. What I mean by that is this. When you come to Christ in faith, when you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, he erases that relational distance, okay? In his eyes, you're home. You're in his embrace. We go through our lives growing in our experience of that reconciled life. We grow in our experience of that reconciled life. So in one sense, it's already happened. In another sense, we grow in our experience of that reconciled life. When somebody says, I'm so much closer to Jesus than I used to be, that's what they're talking about. They're growing in that experience of that reconciled life, being able to experience and enjoy the fact that there's no distance. What does that look like? What does that reconciled life look like? Well, to me, the greatest picture that I that I love to go back to from Scripture is the picture of the the father and the prodigal son. The father has been waiting in love and hope and and reaching out with that gravitational, right? That, That reconcile heart. And the son comes to his senses and he repents and he starts turning and coming toward home. And the father can't wait for him to cover the distance down the road, so he runs. Very uncharacteristic of a father. And he takes him in his arms and he kisses him and he hugs him and there's great affection. And he says, essentially, none of that matters. None of that matters anymore. You're home and I love you and we're one. You're home and I love you and we're one. It's that embrace. That's what Jesus wants for you and for me. But there are things that can come between that embrace. We're gonna take a look at that in a second. Let's go back to the text as I promised. We're, um, we're looking at Colossians 1. Turn to Colossians 1 if you would. I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Colossians 1, 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is all of God, is all of God the Father. You see him, you see the Father. And through Jesus, to reconcile, to draw back home to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, you see the energy, you see the pull, you see the gravitational force pulling them back, home to him, home to each other, making peace by the blood of his cross, making peace by the blood of his cross. All these things are true. All these things are true. But in the cross, in the cross, everything can be reconciled. 
everyone can be reconciled. In the cross, there is nothing that is beyond reconciliation. Another definition for reconciliation, coming together at the cross. Coming together at the cross. Coming to the cross to be reconciled to God so he can bring us together, put us back together, create new life with other people coming together to the cross because in the cross, everything, Jesus rejected his own emotional pain. He did not have a lack of forgiveness. He put aside his pride. He was not too busy. He was not too comfortable. He paid it all. And in him, we can have reconciliation with God. We can have reconciliation with each other. Now, there's a certain amount of reconciliation, God bless you, that comes in people's worlds and people's lives. What we're talking about here in the church in Jesus Christ should be such a radical reconciliation that nothing but the power and the presence and the spirit of the risen Christ can explain it. Nothing. It's so radical. How can this be reconciled? How can these people be reconciled? How can this wreck of a man lead a church? How can he be forgiven? How can that relational distance be erased? How could these people who have hurt each other so brutally be woven together with such love? There's only one explanation. That's what we're calling, that's what he's calling us to. There's a woman who lived, perhaps I've told the story before, but you know, you've been here five years, you've got to retread some of these, they're good, they're good. It's a woman who lived in tribal violence, this village, She was a widow. Her husband had been killed. She had a son that she was putting through school so that she, so that he might escape the violence. Widowed mother. He's on his way back from school. Teenage boy. And there are orphan mobs, gangs, very violent, tribal, who attack him and kill him. Widow mother, only child, murdered. She grieves and grieves. And one of the practices of that village is when they, when they catch the offender, they bring him before the one who, who this crime was committed. Well, since her son is dead, they bring this young man before his mother. And through her tears, she says... He has lost his parents, and I have lost my son. May I take him as my son and raise him to the Lord. That is reconciliation. That only the presence and the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ can explain. And there's a picture of that. There's a potential for that in each one of our lives. In each one of our lives. I have a friend, Austin, who asked if he could share what God was doing in his heart. Do you have the mic? Yeah, just make sure it's on. Go ahead. Hello. Um, I'm going to confess my sin to everybody. Um, might make you, it will probably make you guys a little awkward. 
So I'm going to start with the college kids. I have judged a lot of you girls. A lot of you aren't here. Not even knowing you, thinking that some of you are whorish and partying too much, things like that, because I'm overly spiritual, stuff like that. And that's wrong. And I'm sorry. I've judged a lot of you Christian challenge folks because you're not a part of my Bible study Ignite. And I don't think you're into the Holy Spirit enough. And that's wrong. And I'm sorry. I've judged a lot of you men thinking that you're not spiritual enough. You don't pray enough. You don't do this enough. You don't do that enough. And I'm sorry. And that's wrong. And while I could have encouraged you to go deeper into Jesus and to experience more of being reconciled, I judged you in my mind and talked about people behind their back and things like that while maintaining a good reputation and everything like that. So I'm sorry. I love you. Jesus loves you. I, hold on. I want to I wanna confess my sin to those guys right there because I judged you for the sports that you like and for the amount of mountain biking you do. And I want to confess my sin to the leaders of this church because I judged you in my mind. And I've even judged people by their weight in this um, body. I've judged people, people just by the way they look while maintaining this persona. I've judged the leaders of this church just because I don't think they're spirit-filled enough or they don't speak in tongues like I do or they don't pray for people for healing or something like that like I do. And that's wrong and I'm sorry. And uh, while I could have encouraged you guys to go deeper into Jesus and experience more and just come up and help and be a servant, I was critical, judgmental, and I've held back this body by my own actions and I'm sorry. I'm not repenting right now. I'm just confessing. Repentance comes over the next few months. The Lord started doing that. Um, uh, some people aren't here. I want to confess my sin to some of the people that I've ministered to, like Shelby and Liz and Caleb Ramsey, and them that I preached uh, to them more of a performance-based gospel instead of Jesus takes you as you are and changes you. It was because I was insecure that God actually loved me, so I had to fast and pray so much just to feel like I was forgiven. And so I preached that and brought them into condemnation too. And I'm sorry, that was wrong. But I'm coming into the light, and now you guys know who I really am, and I love you, and we'll see how it goes. Austin, there is no distance between us. There is no distance, man. Because both of us are going to cling to the cross. That's my only hope. And if that's my only hope, then I can't hold that against you, man. Because we're made of the same stuff. But we're redeemed by the same cross. That means that no matter where you are, no matter what has gone on in your heart, 
you're not beyond the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look. 21, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. We were alienated and hostile in mind. He reconciled us. This is something you may not like, but I'm, I'm very grateful it's true. Jesus made the first move. The one who was hurt, the one who was offended, the one who was sinned against made the first move in reconciling. So those of us who were standing here saying, yeah, but they hurt me. Yeah, but we hurt him. Make the first move be the father who's praying in the power of reconciliation that this other one would join you at the cross and that things would be knit together. It also means that if you're somewhere apart from God, Jesus has taken all the steps between you and he's offered you this reconciled life right with God. It's right before you. Will you receive it? That's huge. That's huge. And it's huge for those of us who say that doesn't apply to the person that I'm thinking about in my life because the ball's now in their court. They created the situation. If they want to make it right, fine. They know where to find me. I'm not taking the first step in making this right. It's not my problem. I'm not in the wrong here. Granted, you may not be. But reconciliation hungers and thirsts for oneness at the cross. As much as it depends on you, be reconciled. Whenever there's a relationship, be it spouses, parents and children, friends, kids, co-workers, anybody, two people, two sinful people, the fault is very rarely 100% on one side. So if you've been sinned against, here's my advice. Run to the cross and extend your heart. If you're the one who's done the offending, run to the cross and extend your heart. Solution's the same. In the cross, there's redemption. There's reconciliation. Brother, but we often stop short. We forgive, we don't repair the relationship. It takes two people. We're gonna close. It takes one person to forgive. Okay, if you wrong me, I can say I forgive you. Regardless of whether you are sorry, regardless of whether you repent, I can release you from that. Reconciliation takes two people, two hearts in agreement together at the cross. Jesus' heart, for those of you who need to be reconciled with him, is already there. He's already extended. You join him, two hearts. Two hearts at the cross. Reconciliation takes an agreement of two people in repentance. Some of you are going through life and you're frustrated because you've been trying to reconcile, to heal, 
to erase the relational distance with somebody who is repeatedly abusive and will not repent. Reconcile. Reconciliation takes two people. There cannot be reconciliation without repentance. We long for it. We hunger for it. We pray for it. But it takes two hearts together at the cross for there to be reconciliation. Be the father waiting on the porch, ready, outstretched, praying, longing for that person to come home. To God and to you. But we must remember that our reconciliation with God requires repentance. Yeah, but that's not possible for me. Yes, it is. You only define what is possible based on your earthly understanding of it. In the cross, all things are possible. In the cross, all things are possible. The reconciled life, in closing, is far better. It's far better and more blessed than any of us believe. How do I know it? Well, if we really bought that, if we really believed how blessed and how good and how wonderful the reconciled life was, then we would be sprinting toward reconciliation, hurtling over or busting through every obstacle that presents itself. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. If you're a Christian, you've been reconciled to God, but your experience, your experience of that reconciled life is tied up in your reconciliation with other people. Remember I said in the embrace of the Father and the Son, there are things that can get in between. As we reconcile with others, our experience of our reconciliation with Christ becomes more real and more powerful. It's true. Go to the cross. There's reconciliation there for you and your relationships. We can realize that every strained relationship in our life is crying out for reconciliation. And we can cling to emotional pain, lack of forgiveness. We can cling to our pride. We can cling to our busyness. We can cling to our comfort. Or we can run to the cross with them and live a life of reconciliation. There are two types of people here. There are Christians who've been reconciled to God, who need to take the next step in reconciling with another person. And there are people here who are still longing to be reconciled to God for the first time in Christ. And the answer is the same. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. The whole Bible is about reconciliation. Let it happen. Stop fighting gravitational force of Christ. The price of reconciliation. Did you put this over there? It's something we're going to celebrate. Christ's broken, broken body and shed blood. We're going to celebrate that. It's what it cost, but it was worth it to be with you, to have you home. His dream, his desire is to draw all people closer and closer to him 
closer and closer to each other. Let's take that step. Let's pray.